creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk You're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Danny J. Pizza. Pizza. Now, I don't know about you, but I can get pretty annoyed by the feeling that your creative practice is resting on your ability to gain traction on social media. And I've had a little luck with that and some ways that's been a good thing for me. But for the most part, it's just an annoying, discouraging burden that feels like you can never get the kind of audience that you need to be taken seriously as a creator or to be or to make it in a significant way. It feels like the goalposts are always moving. The rules are always changing. Uh, you think you get somewhere and then someone's like, yeah, I have 10x what you have in, the, in terms of following. And it can just be incredibly discouraging and kind of impossible to ever feel like you can achieve the type of social media following or audience that is necessary to get where you want to go creatively. And so I, I feel annoyed by that. I know a lot of other people feel annoyed by that. And I wanted to explore a more practical topic on this episode because we've been in the creative side for quite a few weeks, just kind of going in the esoteric, abstract, finding yourself, all that stuff that you know I couldn't be a bigger fan of. But I've just kind of felt like I want to push the pendulum the other way. I want to talk about the practical side, the career side of the creative practice, that kind of thing. And so this episode, we're going to dive into why I truly believe that you don't need to have an enormous fandom or following to have a thriving creative practice. And in fact, that trying to may be the thing that gets in your way of finding that creative practice that you're looking for. That's what we're going to talk about today. Let's go. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. So most creators I know today that are struggling to get where they want to go creatively, whether that's, you know, earning 
$40,000 on their creative work or $400,000, whatever it is, whatever you define as making it. Maybe it has nothing to do with money. Maybe it has something to do with just publishing a book, like whatever it means, whoever you are, wherever you are. My experience is most of us feel the burden of needing to have an enormous following in order to make it as a creator. And in this episode, I want to suppose that what if, what if trying to have a crazy huge following isn't the thing you need to make it, but is actually the thing stopping you from making it? What if the key to making it as a creator is actually starting with the smallest possible audience you can imagine? and making for that group of people. It sounds kind of crazy, but what if you just made for just one person, one super mega fan? Like it sounds a bit risky, but the truth is that is how most people make their living. Like you probably have heard before, you don't need millions of raving fans, you just need a thousand true fans. But I wanna tell you about something even more extreme than that in theory, but in practice, It actually works for tons and tons of people. So forget about true fans, forget about super fans, and let's just think about for a second, the mega fan, one mega super uber fan. That's what you need. And lots and lots of people make their entire living on just one mega fan. Now, before we get into what I mean by that, and explore that thoroughly and and apply it to your creative practice. Let's go back in time to the 1970s, to the first San Diego Comic-Con that ever existed. Now, in modern times, you can't go anywhere without hearing about superhero comics and Marvel movies and the DCU and everything in between, right? It's huge mainstream culture, big, huge amounts of money and fans. And it's insane. Like, I think one of the biggest comic cons to date had 135,000 attendees, completely freaking bonkers to try to wrap your head around that. But the first comic con ever in the 1970s, 50 years ago, only had about 100 attendees right? Like a very tiny group. That's not even a thousand true fans. That's a 10th of that. Is it a 10th of that? I think so. Every time I start throwing around numbers, I get scared. It's not my job. My job is to draw and color pictures. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's a 10th of that. And uh, the first Comic-Con just had a hundred attendees, right? Like that is, that's a very tiny sliver. And then 50 years later, it's making billions and billions of dollars in this market. And I think that a lot of us think that if we have something special, that it's going to go viral, it's going to blow up overnight, it's going to change the game instantly. But that's such a great case study for what's called the diffusion of innovation. Now, don't turn your brains off. Every time I say that word, and when I used to hear the idea of diffusion of innovation, it sounds like something, uh, you know, researchers say, and you're like, oh God, this is going to be a huge snooze fest. Never, I have no idea what they're talking about. But the diffusion of innovation is just how ideas spread, how things catch on, how things like Marvel becomes this billion dollar juggernaut. What happens, not the way you think, it happens by going deep instead of going wide. It happens by getting 
just a handful of people that are completely crazy about this thing. So crazy that they become the evangelists of this thing because they're so obsessed. And so when you try to make something that's going to appeal to everybody, instead of just appeal to your own taste or just a few people you know, you end up making something that is so watered down, so much like chasing thunder and instead of trying to capture lightning, like it is a bad plan. And another example of this that I saw recently is the new Dungeons and Dragons movie, which just opened with almost 39 million domestic box office opening, massively exceeded expectations, rave reviews, critics and audiences are for the most part, super loving it. And here's another thing that came back from the seventies and back in the seventies, the original pressing of the booklets and the little pack for Dungeons and Dragons was just a thousand copies, right? It was a niche thing, but guess what? They were making this thing for people who loved sci-fi and fantasy. And even more than that, loved telling their own stories. Who did those kids become? They became the people making the movies, making the TV. And then slowly but surely, over 50 years, it turns from a, a little niche indie thing that is pressing a thousand copies to making $40 million in one weekend. And so, first of all, that's an interesting just thing to wrap your head around, like going deep rather than going wide is such, such a key way of approaching it. But guess what? You and I probably don't have 50 years to wait till we're making a, a, a living or making it as a creator or getting where, anywhere interesting as an artist. And so it's not just, well, just, uh, you know, start really small and then just give it 50 years and you'll be in a great place. We, none of us even know if we're going to have 50 years if we're honest about it. And so it's not that simple, but I think that principle is a great one to start with. So you're saying, look, Andy, I don't have 50 years to make as a creator. I want to spend those 50 years in a decent enough place with my creativity uh, being at least somewhat close to what I want it to be. Right. And I totally relate to that. Totally get it. And I don't think it's as simple as just go for a thousand true fans, because the truth is even a thousand true fans, a thousand people that are willing to spend a hundred bucks on your work uh, a year and total $100,000 salary, even that is a heck of a journey. You know that, I know that. How do you get there? Now, maybe you don't have 50 years, but let me just share a little bit about what is possible in eight years. Now, I try not to talk about numbers all the time because it kind of gets gross. I feel a little bit uncomfortable with it, honestly, but for this illustration, I kind of feel like it's important. So I'm going to share to the best of my ability a little bit about how this podcast grew. And so for this podcast, a year into doing it with something up to cl close to like 50 episodes, something of that uh, nature, um, we were doing them almost every week uh, like we do now. I started this podcast and at the end of the first year, I believe we had about 500 regular listeners. 
Now, 500 regular listeners is a very small podcast. And the truth is, I wasn't super pumped about having 500 listeners. However, I was achieving what I was after because I didn't shoot to make a podcast for thousands and thousands of people. In fact, I made this show with just a handful of people in mind. And those people were people that were organizing conferences and hiring people to do talks at schools and and corporate gigs and all that kind of thing. I created this podcast primarily because the, the, the first top two reasons I do anything Uh, I think this is an ADHD thing, but I I don't really know. But the top two reasons I do anything are a given. One, they're fun. And two, it feels meaningful, meaning it's good for the world. It's good for other people. It's something I can get behind. If those two things aren't satisfied, I'm not really even considering it. That's just the way that I am. It needs to feel fun to do and good to do, like I'm doing good in the world. So those are the top two reasons. The third reason, though, was that it matched what I felt like was the highest potential of those things, meaning the thing I would enjoy the most and potentially would do the most good. And at that time, I felt like it would be public speaking on creative topics. And so I created this podcast as a sort of talk portfolio. And it's why it's the reason why this podcast was really different eight years ago when I started it because I created it for a very particular small group of people for a very super targeted niche. If I hadn't created it with that niche, I would have started this show as a run-of-the-mill interview style show that there are lots and lots of. There are some really phenomenal ones. I'm not, you know, demeaning or judging or, or putting down anyone, but I think that the reason why it started in a place where a year into it, we had 500 listeners and then eight years later, we get anywhere from 40 to 50,000 listens a week. That's a hundred times that audience. And the only reason I could make a podcast like that, and the only reason I could continue to show up when a year into it, we have only 500 listeners is because I knew I didn't need that many listeners for this podcast to be a success. And the reason is, is I wasn't going for millions of listeners. I wasn't going for thousands of listeners. I wasn't even going for a thousand true fan listeners. I was really going to a handful of super fan listeners that had the ability and the power to change my career with just 10 people, 15 people, 20 people that could change my entire year as a creator if they chose to hire me to do public speaking. And the fact of the matter is, it you don't even need, it's not even a risk to bet on just 10 listeners. Because guess what? I know that in our, in America at the very least, if not just modern world across the board, that it is seen as extremely risky to go out on your own and even shoot for a thousand true fans or even just try to work with a handful of super fans. I know it's seen as extremely risky, but can you imagine creating an entire body of work and betting your entire future and career on just one mega fan. 
Like that seems incredibly risky, but in fact, that's how most people make their living because most people just have one super mega fan. It's called their employer, right? Like they interview with just a handful of people and they just need one person to buy into them for their year or their next 10 years to be made. That's incredibly risky compared to getting it 15 people that can hire you to do a talk or hire you to do an illustration or license your music or, or, or buy your uh, manuscript. Like that is putting all of your chips into one place, putting all your eggs uh, in one basket. I was going to say chips in a basket, but that just sounds like a picnic. If you got some Lay's potato chips, <laughs> but it sounds incredibly risky to go out on your own. It sounds incredibly risky to chart your own path as a creator. And yet we're told that we should bet our entire existence on just one mega fan. And so in this episode, what I am encouraging you to do is to forget about one mega fan, the, the tried and true way that's incredibly risky and, and not diverse in terms of income streams or, or, um, uh, fandom and 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 then also don't just leap to a thousand true fans the key to this episode if you don't get anything else is instead of going for one mega fan or 1000 true fans what does it look like what is the road in between those two places to me it is a few super fans so you have one mega fan that's being employed you have a thousand true fans which is in my mind kind of the mustard seed uh the dungeons and dragons the marvel the the grateful dead like how you get those few people that are just so die hard that eventually it spreads and becomes something bigger than you could ever imagine that's the thousand true fans so forget about the one mega fan forget about the thousand true fans let's talk about the road in between those two places let's talk about what does it look like to just have a handful of super fans how do you make your creative practice not trying to get millions of followers but instead trying to get just a handful of super fans creating something that is tailored to that group of people that could change your entire uh, year as a creator overnight. And that's, that's what it looks like to, to make for super fans. All right, so every episode we like to end with a CTA, what we call the call to adventure. It's your call to creative adventure, something you can do right now with the stuff in this episode to help push your creative journey a couple steps forward this week. And so this week we're going to talk about the super fan flow chart. This is the thing that's going to help you figure out where you are on the road from one mega fan of being employed full time to a thousand true fans, which is the seed of a thriving creative practice. In my opinion, it's going to help you figure out where you are on that journey and therefore what action you need to be taking right now. And there's four different questions. We're going to work through this flow chart right now. So what you need to do is listen to the question and uh, just follow along. Okay, the first one is, do you know roughly the verb you would like to be spending your time doing? 
what is the verb that you associate with the type of work that you love to create? And the reason I say verb is because you're a living thing. The, the world is full of living things. The culture is a living thing. And that means in order to be a living thing, one of the biology rules of what makes a living thing is it's moving, it's doing, it's growing, it's pulsing, it's not staying static. And sometimes when we think about nouns, we think of things that are inanimate, static things that don't move. And so when you think, oh, I want to be a pop musician or I want to be a filmmaker or I want to be an editorial illustrator for the New York Times, whatever it is, those are these static things. But as you know, our world doesn't work like that. There was a time when there were a lot of opportunities to do those various things. There were really great times to go for those things. You know, in the 60s and 70s, and and, uh, if you're in the little underground music pockets of New York City, that might have been a great time to go for being a rock musician or being a folk artist. But that might not be true right now. But that doesn't mean that you can't write songs or write music. Writing is the verb. Writing music is the verb. Or sing songs. It doesn't mean that just because there was an amazing time to get in on Instagram doesn't mean that you can't be someone who illustrates. You just have to be aware of where are the opportunities. And so for me, the verb would be storytelling or illustrating. Now that can be with pictures, that can be with words, that can be in a picture book, that could be on a podcast, that could literally be anywhere. It doesn't matter. That's just how much I love green eggs and ham. Those might be spoiled. Could be in a fox with a box. Um, I could illustrate all over the freaking place. I could illustrate all over the box and I have. Go look at my walls in my studio. I want to illustrate ideas. And depending on what the culture is doing, what the economy is doing, the, where to do that, the noun that that illustration becomes, whether it's a talk or a picture book or a podcast or a, a mural, whatever it is, changes based on what the opportunities are, right? And we're going to get to that in one second. But the first one needs to be, are you connected to the verb that you want to be spending your time doing? What you're good at and what you love doing. Okay, if the answer is no, you need to find that verb. You need to dig into what what energy, what time do I want to be spending making creative stuff? Find that verb. If you have that, if it's a yes, move on to number two. If it's not, stay in number one until you have a decent answer or at least a guess. You got to test this stuff, so you might be wrong. I was wrong for a long time in a whole bunch of different ways. Still am. Okay, Number two, if you say yes, you know the verb, the the way that you want to be spending your time. Do you know where people are making money or or finding opportunities or connecting with people, depending on whether this is a thing you want to do for a career or whether it's just something you want to do to connect with other people? Where are people doing that with that verb today? If the answer is no, you don't know where people are doing that, where people, where there's a real ripe opportunity to create in that verb uh, today, your job is to spend time uh, outside of the dream world of 
wouldn't it be amazing if I could be a Hollywood actor? Wouldn't it be amazing if I could uh, be a best-selling author? Like, don't attach yourself to the noun. The time is to start thinking rationally about where are people doing that verb, that energy, uh, not the noun, not the end result, but that energy and the verb today that's really truly connecting with people, that there is a fresh opportunity where people are really looking for that. Now, I like to think about this as cities or parts of cities. And so as an example, Detroit is a great place where they went bankrupt a few years back. That's when all the artists move in and buy up property and make things cool. Like that's, that's what always happens. But the same goes within a city. There's always an area that is up and coming where there's new coffee shops and new artist studios. And then there's places that are shutting down the artist studios and the coffee shops because the artists made it so cool that now everything's expensive. Now, I'm not here to play economist or tell you what's right or wrong about all that. There's, I think there's a lot of issues and in, in things, but as you, as the artist, it's your job to find where are those up and coming areas in the city of the verb of creativity that you want to be a part of, that you want to live in. Um, you have to find those places. Where are people talking? Where are people creating? Where are people illustrating? Where are people painting? Where are people singing? Like it doesn't have to be the exact expression, the exact noun that you want it to be. It doesn't have to be pop music if you're still singing, if that's what matters, or if you're still dancing, if that's what matters to you. And so if you don't know, you know, for me, public speaking, that's what I want to do. I wanted to be speaking the place to to, to put that energy eight years ago was a podcast, now, but you have, but that changes all the time. If I was starting now, maybe I'd be putting all that energy on TikTok. You know, they just opened up 10 minute videos like that. That could have been a great place to do this kind of energy. But for you, you have to ask yourself, do you know what you, do you have a good guess of where people are doing that verb successfully, evil, either in terms of connecting with people or making money, just depending on your goal. Okay, if the answer is yes, move on to number three. Number three is, do you know just a handful of people that could change your year? They have a title, they have a position of power, they have capital to spend. Do you know just a few people that could change your year by being super fans, business to business clients, hiring you just a few times and it would totally change your year. Unlike true fans that can only spend $100 on your creative work, these super fans are people that could spend $1,000 on one piece of work. $5,000, $10,000, $20,000. Sound like I'm doing an auction, but that it can range from that depending on the type of work you're doing. Do you know who those people are that make those decisions? And remember, if this sounds insane, just remember most people bet on one person that can spend double that on their work that year. And so this is a smaller thing than getting a salary. Who are the people? And I don't mean like hypothetically. I don't even mean like picture book editors. I mean their names. Do you know their names? Do you have a handful of people that you could put, you know, in a note or on a mood board, like in your mind, don't get creepy, but just like in your mind, people that you're like, those people, if they were super fans of what I did, they could change my year with just a few decisions. If the answer is no, you don't know who those people are. It's your job to go seek out places where 
people are doing that verb successfully to some degree and spend time in those places and get to know those people so that you can start finding where are those big decision makers? Where is the section of this uh, creative field where those people that really have the potential of being that kind of super fan uh, hiding out? And so your job is to go find where the people doing the verb you want to be doing are congregating and just soak in that time until you start to notice who the super fans are and, and how they spend their money and how and what kind of nouns they're buying, if you will. Okay, if the answer is yes, you know who those people are. The last one is, have you made a project specifically tailored to connect with just those few people. And so if the answer is no, think about, you know, maybe one way to think about it is how can you critique the current model? Sometimes it's easier to think, how can I critique what's currently available rather than how can I offer something different? But it's the same thing, you know, thinking, how can I do something original that has all this value and totally beats the competition, like that's kind of hard to do, but you can think of a critique of that current work. And so for me in kids books, the way I've been thinking about it is I want to be the person that's going back to traditional storytelling in terms of structure and in terms of having a message. There's a lot of people in picture books right now that don't want their work to have any messages and they want it to just be, um, just want it to be fun and weird and abstract. And I love that stuff. Totally down with that. Um, and then there's people on the opposite end of the spectrum that don't want it to be weird. Don't want it to be a story. Don't want it to be fiction. They just want it to have a message and not really be a story, but just be a message. And I'm, that's not me either. I, my critique is I want to do both. I want to have the weird, fun, strange dreaminess of a myth uh, and of a old fable, but at the same time have the kind of gravity and, and message and point of view of a, uh, a, a, a traditional story. And so that's kind of my critique. That's what I'm kind of spending my time doing right now. Uh, but for the Dungeons and Dragons people back in the day, when they pressed those first a thousand, uh, booklets and, and Dungeons and Dragons packs, they were playing these tabletop war games and they thought they just had a little critique that said, you know, at the time it was all about you're controlling all these armies. And they were like, I want to just control an individual. And that was the whole thing. That's, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. It's not this brilliant, crazy thing the world had never seen. It was just a little critique on what was available. And so if the answer is no, you haven't created a project, it might start with a critique. It might start with you thinking of what could I do? What could I make 10 pieces of, you know, for me in the podcast, I knew that illustrating things with words, with metaphors as a public speaker speaking, I knew it was something I wanted to go way into. Uh, and so I knew I want to create a hundred episodes of this podcast that are like a portfolio for that small group of people that hire people to speak at conferences and hire people to do corporate gigs and all everything in between. I knew I wanted to do that and I, I was all in. And so I committed to a hundred episodes of this show, no matter how small the audience. However, <clears throat> there were times earlier on in my creative journey 
you know, when you're further away from your goal, you're, you're way less sure of which way to go. And there were times where I committed to a project for, uh, I was just going to make a project for people that hired illustrators to illustrate book covers for, you know, grown up books. And, uh, and I thought <clears throat> I'm going to just create for that group of people. However, uh, I, I thought I'm only going to make like five of these because I don't really know. And I'm glad that I didn't commit to some huge thing because it wasn't really for me because I don't read a lot of fiction. Right. Uh, and so it just, it wasn't really authentic for me. And so for you, you have to ask yourself, what is the thing that I feel, what level of commitment of a project, how many pieces of work in this direction for this small group of super fans that I know who they are? How can I make a project that's just for them? That's not for the masses. And this is the reason why trying the, the burden of feeling like you have to have millions of followers or thousands of followers or 10,000 followers, whatever it is, is a distraction in the road from one mega fan of an employer to a thousand true fans of the, the seed of a thriving creative practice is the reason why the burden of feeling like you have to make for thousands of people gets in the way is it actually disables your ability to connect with the few people that could change your year right now with just a few decisions as super fans of what you do. So uh, if the answer is no, you need to critique that current market model. Think of a project and a level of commitment that you're willing to do to make just for them. And then if the answer is yes, if you're already in the thick of a project and it just isn't getting the numbers that you think you need, my encouragement and the thing I think you need to do today is just keep doing it. If you are firing on all these levels and you're in this zone where you are making the thing for that group of people, you know the verb you want to be doing, you know where you want to be doing it, you know who you're making it for. If you know all of those things and the numbers are small, that's exactly where you need to be. Keep trying to make it better for that small group of people. And I know sometimes when I'm in that zone, I can feel like, is this just lame? Is this just, you know, trying to be an artist in the small time in a way that just shouldn't exist? Like, should the only artists that really thrive and succeed are the people that are these brilliant creators that appeal to millions and millions of people? And I would say, I just want to nip that in the bud right away because that whole mindset, I think, is actually really young. I think that's an industrial revolution type of mindset that says we have to sell millions of CDs to make the pressing worth it. When in fact, the idea of having just a handful of super fans is much older than that. You know, it's my understanding. I'm, I'm no art historian, but it's my understanding that a lot of the artists that we know that changed the world with their creativity did so with just the help of a handful of super fans. They were called patrons back in the day. And now they're called patrons again on Patreon. And uh, if you are a Patreon backer of the show, I want to say a massive thank you to you. You are the super fans that keep this thing going in the, in the lean times and in the great times, all everything in between you have made this show a reality. 
And so I hope this flow chart and this mindset shift helps encourage you, even if you're not getting the kind of numbers that you wish you were, or you think are vital to having the kind of creative practice that you want. But if you want to push it a little bit further on Patreon, we are going to add a little bit to this episode. We're going to do a Patreon exclusive edition. I think it's deep dish with extra pep. Maybe that's what we'll call these, um, <laughs> these little Patreon exclusive episodes that we're going to um, start doing as follow-ups to kind of extend the Creative Pep Talk episodes for those of you that want a little extra pep. You know, they want the uh, uh, the deep dish with extra pep. That episode is going to be on Patreon at the same time we launch this episode. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the practicalities of thinking about what do you do when it's a slow time? Because for a lot of people with the economy right now, a lot of creative practices are getting kind of slow. You're not getting as many inquiries. You know, the energy's starting to die out. People are doing layoffs. Some of those mega super fan employers are starting to let people go. And it can be a really scary time. And having weathered a couple of those now in my creative practice, I have some thoughts about how I'm approaching that energy and that mindset in a way that isn't panicky, that is productive, that is helping me find that creative energy, even in the slow times and prepare myself and make the most of um, this current season. That's a little bit slower for, for most people. So if you want a piece of that, go to patreon.create. Let's try it again. Patreon.com slash creative pep talk, um, become a backer at any level and you will get access to that expansion on this episode. Um, either way, I hope that uh, this episode helped you find some creative energy for your practice so that you can continue doing that verb, whether you have one mega fan uh, whether you have zero fans except for yourself or whether you have 10,000, um, I hope that it reinvigorated your creative energy to keep doing that thing. All right, that's it for another episode. Massive thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music and soundtrack. Thanks to Connor Jones of Pending Beautiful for editing and sound design by the way go check out connor jones and pending beautiful on instagram pending beautiful at pending beautiful is their name on instagram they just released their latest reel of their video work they do motion graphics animation compositing which i don't know what that is color grading all kinds of video stuff if you've ever seen any of my videos with the animations all over them, that's Pending Beautiful. They do incredible work. I love working with them. They've animated some of my stuff. And if you're in the, if you're a super fan looking to hire someone like that, go check out PendingBeautiful.co or go follow them on Instagram. And massive thanks to Ryan Appleton, Katie Chandler, and Sophie Miller for podcast assistance of all kinds and sorts. Until we speak again, stay pepped up. Stay pepped up.